Um, guys, you know that it is um, October. October means that we, that's the month that we nominate men for the office of elder. Um, if you're a member of Grace Evan, you have that privilege of nominating the, the men who lead you. Um, this blue card is the device that is to be used to uh, effect that nomination. You can nominate as many on this one card as you like, or you can have a card per man. It, um, it matters not. But the, the, um, the biblical, the germane uh, biblical passages are on the front here that you might want to read before you nominate anyone. And then some other little stipulations are on the back that are not, that are extra biblical, but are, uh, nonetheless, um, uh, helpful in determining who you nominate. So here they are. I've got some, if you need them uh, at the end of February, that, that privilege will be over. And I, I say this frequently, but you may have been a, a, a part of churches in the past that had nominating committees that did this work of a nomination for you, and they would s- present you a slate of, of um, candidates, and you were to um, uh, either some thumbs up or thumbs down the slate. We don't do that like that around here. You are the nominating committee. Any man nominated is because you nominated him. And um, then on December the third or second it's a wednesday night we'll have a congregational meeting at which time we will uh, vote from that list of people that you nominate so get to work um for those of you who are unfamiliar with what we're up to right now let me uh, just for for your benefit we're studying the book of galatians but <clears throat> but we've come to a section in the book of galatians uh chapter three um be- beginning at verse 26 um where where the statement is made the very indicative um, emphatic statement for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then, um, as this little paragraph, uh, unfolds, uh, into chapter four, you find the word mentioned in, in verse five, uh, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The, the idea of the sonship of God's people is, um, is begun there in verse 26. Uh, it's developed further, and then, of course, uh, kind of the capstone is this word that um, that is somewhat unfamiliar to us, at least in, in its biblical sense. Adoption is mentioned. So we're spending several weeks on the subject of adoption. Um, brought to us by this passage. Um, we're, we're confronted with the issue of adoption by this passage, but we're just going to take a kind of side road and spend... Um, Several weeks. I, I, I really don't know how many weeks, but maybe four, five, maybe six. Who knows? Um, on the subject of adoption. Okay, guys. Um, I want to start um, with something that I did last week. I want to put this back up here um, for a couple of reasons. It, it was called. You may remember. At least I hope you do. It was called the Ordo Salutis. Uh, it's a Latin ter- phrase, which means the order of salvation. I listed these eight things up here. You may recall um, the first, well, calling, um, regeneration, um, conversion, which consists of uh, repentance and faith, um, justification, uh, adopt, uh, excuse me, number five is adoption, um, number six is sanctification. 
Number seven is perseverance of the saints. And number eight is glorification. That's the ordo salutis. The, the, the first reason that I put this up here is because I created somewhat of a confusion last week um, because I was questioned by two people about, is that the first thing? Is there not something before that? Yeah, guys, there's all kinds of stuff up here, uh, which we call the decrees of God, <laughs> uh, like uh, Revelation 13 that talks about Jesus being crucified before the foundations of the earth. All that's up here. But the Ordo Salutis is really concerned with the sequence of events that unfold um, in the life of someone who is being brought out of spiritual death into spiritual life. So that's why it starts here. It's not going to start up here in the decrees of God. Uh, that's something that is in his own counsels. But, but when, when, when a person is brought out of his spiritual dead uh, condition and brought uh, into um, a saving relationship eternally with God. This is the sequence, okay? Now, so I created, I mean, the question that was posed to me is, well, anything above this? Well, yeah, there is. But then you're delving into the decrees of God, which I don't think would be beneficial for us. Okay, the, the other reason I put it up here is because we're going to, uh, first of all, I'm going to show you again. There's adoption. Um, that's the subject that I have neglected. And um, th- thus, <laughs> I'm not going to neglect it anymore. I mean, we're going we're to go very slowly, and I'm gonna, um, I may repeat myself, but we're going we're gonna to talk about this thing called adoption. It, it's just too rich to, um, to not to emphasize. And so, um, but we're going to be using this, this ordo salutis before, before the night's over. So those are the two reasons. That's the confusion. I wanted to clear up that confusion, and then I want to have it up there because I'm going to use it later, later on. Um... Now, guys, we're, we're talking about adoption. You ready? Um, let's start like this. The Lord's Prayer. Um, <clears throat> um, it's found two places. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. Um, the, um, apparently, it is mentioned, I mean, it is, Jesus teaches it twice. They're not the same events because in Matthew chapter 6 uh, the Lord's Prayer is included in a sermon the Sermon on the Mount but in Luke chapter 11 if you want to see it it's Luke chapter 11 1 the disciples come to Jesus and they say um, Jesus we have noticed that John's disciples that is John the Baptist's disciples we've noticed that he has taught them how to pray so could you teach us how to pray um, so in, in response to that request on the part of the apostles, Jesus teaches them. That's why you've heard me say in, the, in, uh, in some variously uh, times in the past that the Lord's Prayer is really not the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus never prayed that prayer. He taught us to pray it. Okay? So if you want to see the Lord praying, then you need to go to John 17. But the Lord's Prayer, that we call the Lord's Prayer, is the prayer that he taught us to pray. All right, you got that? Now, guys, he is teaching us to pray. Got a little small band of uh, followers there in front of him, and he says, okay, you want to learn how to pray? Um, here's Here's how you pray. 
Start like this. Start with our Father. (laughs) And from then on, no, no, yeah, from then on, but at that moment, the heads of his hearers began to spin. Here's here's why I say that. Guys, um, Judaism made lists of names that were to be used, that were acceptable and approved names um, that any faithful Jew was uh, allowed to use to address Yahweh. Um, I, I wrote down six here, no, f- uh, five. You, you've heard of these. You've heard of El Shaddai. You've heard of that. Amy Grant made that popular um, uh, when she sang that song 40 years ago. Um, there's El, El Yon. There's El Roe. There's El Sadek. Um, okay. There is El, El Ohim. You've heard of those names. You, of course, see there's always this common L, which means God. But these, these things down here, um, I give you certain character traits um, about God. El Roi, that's the R-O-I, means this is the God who sees. Um, uh, El Sadek is the God of righteousness. Um, El Shaddai is the God who is all-powerful. This term down here, Elohim, that's an M, um, is plural, which is um, uh, suggestive that God exists in plurality or a trinity. Um, this is the term that you hear, see, particularly in Genesis 1 when God is creating. Uh, you've got all powerful, you've got a, a term uh, which talks about his majesty. Um, you know these names. Judaism made lists of names that were approved and acceptable uh, in, in religious circles to use if you wanted to address God. Conspicuous by its absence is the name Father. No Jew. No Jew would have ever addressed God and called him our Father. So the guys come out from, you know, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, we noticed that John the Baptist has been teaching his disciples to uh, to, to pray. Could you teach us to pray, please? I mean, we'd really love that. We'd really like to know how to pray. He says, well, fine, sit down right here. Here's how you start. Our Father. And their heads begin to spin. Never in all of the history of Judaism has anybody ever suggested that God could be legitimately addressed is our Father. 
He could be the God who sees. He could be the God of righteousness. He could be the God all-powerful. He could be the God almighty. He could be the God of plurality. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got all those. But Father? No. Just not on the list. Never made the list, ladies and gentlemen. No Jewish scholar would have ever taught his uh, followers to address Yahweh by the intimate term, Father. The idea that when Jesus started teaching them to pray, that he used this term was downright scandalous. And, and <laughs> I, I, I'm making this up, but they never heard another word he said. Because they're still stuck on, what? You're permitting us? You are allowing us into the privilege of calling... That would never come out of my my mouth. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this names indicate character or a representative character, like uh, his righteousness, the fact that he sees, he's majestic, he's all-powerful. That's why you have a third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Because names... Names were, um, were associated with the character of the person described. So don't you dare play around with that name. But that's another story. That's a, the third commandment. The idea that Jesus taught his disciples to pray saying, Father, <gasps> scandalous. But we don't, know to, we, don't know to, we don't know how to cope with that. And I'm telling you, guys... That reluctance, that, um, that discomfort that they had, far greater than ours, but we still have it. We still struggle with this idea that God, through the work of Jesus Christ, is calling me his son. Guys, the word adoption appears five times in the New Testament, but only in three of those, three of those five instances, is it describing the relationship that exists between God and his people. The idea of adoption is completely absent in in the Old Testament legal system. This is a Roman idea that Paul is picking up and using, and it it is oh so wonderfully appropriate. But the whole idea that something has happened that that man could call God his father set Jews on their their heels. And and I would suggest that we're still not yet real comfortable with it. Um, We're still not comfortable with the idea of thinking of ourselves as family members. Now, we're going to talk at great length about that in these, in these coming weeks. But all I'm saying is, the, the, the whole idea of adoption comes as early as the Lord's Prayer. But it was brand spanking new. You didn't get any of that out of the Old Testament tradition or the Old, Test- or the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus arrives on the scene and teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father, I am letting you in on a privilege that heretofore 
had been absolutely unthinkable. And thus, the, the hearers can't quite yet sort that out. And I'm not sure we can either. Now, with that just introduction in mind, let's talk about um, adoption. Now, guys, um, um, we have got to lay a theological foundation for this thing. Okay? There's a lot of uh, just stuff that you, I mean, this is not the fun part. This is the stuff that you will, uh, I mean, you'll, maybe you'll like the, um, the theological strength of it all, but uh, it's the ramifications of the doctrine of adoption that are, that are so viscerally important to us that we're going to have to get to, but we're going to say that later. We've got to, first of all, lay us a foundation in terms of understanding of adoption. Um, let me start with a very, a, a somewhat of a simple definition of what adoption is. We're going to get three or four more as we go. Um, but um, adoption is a distinct act of God's grace, completely separate from justification and regeneration, um, that comes with its own uh, set of peculiar privileges. You must think of adoption differently than you think of regeneration and justification. Guys, you must not blur the lines between those three things. Regeneration is an act of God's free grace by which he grants us a new nature. He takes out the rock that we call our hearts and he replaces it with something fleshy. Uh, the the um, the average concept of Christianity in the in the world today is that becoming a Christian is that we're turning over a new leaf. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's an entirely different nature that you've been given. Do you ever feel it? Do you ever feel yourselves out of sync with the culture in which you find yourself? Do you ever wonder, you know, do I belong to this place? I mean, how can those people think like that? You know where that comes from? That comes from the fact that God changed your heart. He left you as a personality the same. By the way, coming to Christ doesn't change your personality. And it doesn't even require that you change your personality. Thank goodness. <clears throat> I mean, when you got one as obnoxious as mine... Um, but, but um, it does require that you eliminate sin from it. But God leaves the personality, he leaves the body, but he, he, he change the, changes the, um, the spiritual nature of the individual by giving you a new heart. That's a work that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit of God. Regeneration. Regeneration has to do with a new heart, Justification, on the other hand, has to do with a new status. Boy, I bet you this really looks good up there. <laughs> but that is, that is pitiful. Um, justification has something to do with our, with our acceptance before God. Now, in this regard, adoption is like justification. In this regard. 
They are both legal. They are both legal, judicious acts. Um, but this one has to do with status. This one has to do with a new relationship that is now enjoyed. Um, Adoption is an act of God's grace, separate from these two things, that comes, that has with it its own set of unique privileges. Um, Adoption, um, which may be a new thought for you, is the first blessing ever mentioned by the Gospel of John. Go take a look at it. Go to look at John chapter 1. I bet you know the text that I'm going to... John chapter 1 verses... Well, we'll just read verse 12. Just for the interest of time. But this is one that you um, um, memorized back in your Baptist days. Um, um, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. There it is. There is this right to become a child, no longer a slave, no longer a worker, no longer a servant, but a child. Um, It's describing the relationship that I now enjoy with the God who has redeemed me by giving me a new heart and sending a Savior to die for my sin. So, <clears throat> it's different from those other two things, and you must not confuse them. Um, but, in, but in addition to all this, the adopted are given a resident Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. And really in our Galatians passage, but this is the one, this is one again that you'll find familiar. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Um, you maybe have memorized this one too, but it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, a spirit of bondage you give to fear. Here it is. But you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out. Abba, Father. This is kind of interesting to me because in the Lord's Prayer, the Greek word is pater. It's not Abba. But that's the Greek word. Jesus did not speak in Greek. He spoke in Aramaic. And the uh, Aramaic equivalent of pater would have been Abba. Um, uh, I could give you a little etymology on the word, but I don't think it would interest you at all. But um, when, when Paul combines these two things, in fact, in the, Greek, in, in the Greek statement that he makes, he has the word Abba and Pater side by side in Romans chapter um, 8, verse 15. Now, guys, <laughs> um, for a moment, you have to think a bit theologically. I know it might hurt, but guys... This thing called regeneration that precedes faith, (laughs) we talked about that last week, uh, is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. 
But then having exercised repentance and faith and um, have been declared just by a judge, I'm adopted into the family and given the same Holy Spirit. But up here, he is performing one role of regeneration. Down here, he is performing another. He has come to take up residence. You have been granted the spirit of adoption. By which you cry out, hey God, I need to talk to you. That's because, ladies and gentlemen, you have been transferred from an alien family into the family of God. Um, you know, guys, um, I, I, I tell this way too many times. But, you know, I, um, I do weddings. Um, I, 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 I should have. I've got this book, this big honking book that I write down every sermon that I've ever preached is in this book that I got there. And, and it's got all these pages that you're, I mean, since 1975. And, but it's got a section in there where you're supposed to write down your funerals and your weddings. Well, I didn't do that. <laughs> I wish I had them. I'd love to know how many weddings I, I've done. But I don't have any idea. But, you know, 400, let's say. 400 weddings. But my weddings are somewhat... Um, I think, I think the converted folk really like my weddings. But um, I, I get, I get so, I, I've had more flack uh, from my weddings than just about anything that I do. Um, because there's a statement in there about, and I say in my weddings, that if you are outside of Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. I didn't make up that word, ladies and gentlemen. That's a Romans chapter 5, verse 10 word. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 uses the word enemy. If you've been to my wedding, you've heard me say that before. And people just don't like the idea of thinking that they're an enemy of God's. That's what you were. You know that, don't you? But you have been transferred out of an alien family into a new one and been given I mean, the, the Holy Spirit after he's given you that new heart now takes up residence when that, within that heart and, and begins to stir up things such that we find ourselves saying, Oh, God, uh, could we talk? Uh, I'm just paraphrasing that language of Abba, Father. Um, there's a real intimacy here, ladies and gentlemen, that's being expressed. You know, I, I hate this because I think it's, I mean, Jimmy just prayed it. I, I think we, we can be really too flip. But this term Abba, everybody wants to translate it daddy. I think there's some there's legitimacy behind it. But the, the all I'm trying to teach you, ladies and gentlemen, is that adoption, though a legal act, 
it has to do, its, its, its aim is to describe to you a new relationship that you now have. You ain't an enemy anymore. You used to be. I did. I spent the first 22 years of my life as an enemy of God's and lived like it. Didn't you? Or am I the only one? But now, God in this sovereign work of grace has granted me a new heart by which I saw my sin and a need for a Savior and exercised repentance and faith. He pronounced me and declared me righteous on the basis of the merits of Christ. And then, he adopted me. Okay, guys, I'm going to ask you this 50 times between now and the, when this little series is over, okay? Because this is what you got to get. Do you know who you are? <laughs> Do you know who you are? Do you know that God has transferred you out of a kingdom of darkness out of an alien family and has put you in his own family. Guys, I want you to see one more text and, I, and we'll probably quit at this um, because to me, this is just... It's in First John. Go to First John. Uh, it's in the back of your New Testament. It's not the completely back, but close to the back. Now, guys, everybody in this room knows a little bit about John, don't we? I mean, you know, John is the one that leans on Jesus' breast, and, you know, John's the one that uh, everybody said uh, Jesus really loved, and, you know, he was the one that wrote the book of Revelation, you know. He was the, the um, um, old guy. But I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. Um, First one, behold what manner of love Elohim has bestowed upon us. Is that what your Bible says? Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Keep reading. That we should be called. Children. Of that father. John is overwhelmed by that. Gang, look at the words. Behold. What manner of love? What kind of love is this? I mean, I've never seen anything like in my life. I mean, you talk about a love of a puppy. You like talking about a love of a kid. You talk about a love of a wife. But what kind of love is this? That we're loved by the Father and He calls His children, calls us His children. It overwhelms Him. The notion 
the notion that God has gone to the extremes by which not only does he provide a savior where that our sin is uh, forgiven and that we no longer have to fear hell, which is true. But let me tell you what this love did. We're called. We're called as children. John probably wrote this somewhere around the time he wrote the book of Revelation. I mean, within five or ten years. He's an old man. And the thing that he can't quite get over is that God is his father. Um, adoption is an act of transfer whereby God in grace takes his enemy takes his enemy gives them a new heart And as a result of that new heart, they see sin and their need for a Savior. Exercise repentance and faith. And on the basis of that, no, no, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, he declares us just. And then he transfers us from a hostile, alien, enemy family and brings us into his own and calls us. Sons. And John, when trying to just remind his reading audience of that, all he can do is say, Wow. I've never seen love like this before. What matter of what is this? That he calls his children. My brother and sister in Christ, do you know who you are? Then if you do, i got one other closing text. If you know who you are, then listen to this. This is another statement by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works. And glorify Elohim, El Shaddai, El Sadek. Then say that. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. <laughs> so, based on our behavior. What does the world think of our Father in heaven? Adoption is supposed to be this this wellspring out of which grows an interest in and a love for holy living. I know who I am. And as a result, I'm going to live in a way that the Father in heaven gets glory.
John never got over it. Maybe we shouldn't either. Our Father, I pray that your people would relish the notion that they are yours. That they will grow more and more to enjoy not just love with a little L, that we might enjoy love with a capital L. Like John did. Might we be overcome, overwhelmed with the notion that all that rot gut living that we did back in college, all of that rebellion that was true of us in high school, that that has been paid for and we have been brought into a new family, a new family that has a holy God whose eyes are too holy to even look upon our iniquity but now delights to call us his sons and daughters. Might, um, might those truths stir within us a determination to reflect him well. Might um, people know how holy our God is by watching us pursue holiness ourselves. We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.